about service. Jesus and our service was the message. And in, at the close of his message, as he was wrapping it up, he talks about uh, maturity, spiritual maturity. And so we're going to build on that today because that's where I feel the text actually takes us. I believe that, Matt, uh, that Paul actually continues on with that um, digging into maturity. And, and so why spend a weekend, why spend a Sunday focusing on maturity? Like it's kind of self-explanatory, right? Just be mature. But I say that only because it's, it's not really that obvious when we think about it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, just... <laughs> Ladies, you can think of a guy that you know. If you sit next to you, don't elbow him. But right? you can think of guys that you've met that outwardly they looked and they were mature. They were grown men. But inwardly, they were not grown and mature men. In fact, they were maybe boys wrapped in men's clothing. Ladies, can I get an amen? Right? All right. But you're not off the hook, fellas. Right? I'm sure we can recall a time when we've met... Um, some ladies that maybe thought that they were still dad's princess and that the world revolved around them. Amen? Right? <laughs> and did you hear that? That amen was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's wise. Yeah, that's wise. That's wisdom there. Um, but no, I, I don't say that to cause attention, uh, attention between us. But I say that just to point out, like, we can all think of somebody. As soon as I said that, you were like, mm-hmm. Like you could think of somebody that you've come in contact with that maybe had the appearance of maturity but was not actually mature. And so, guys, let's get into the text for today. We're going to, uh, again, the passages for today are 4 through 15, but we're going to back it up and we're going to start at um, verse 1 of chapter 2 and just you know, get some traction as we go through that. So verse 1 of chapter 2 of Colossians says, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased a certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him, in Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we dive into your word, God, we ask the power of the Holy Spirit that you would sanctify us, your people. 
that you would wash us in your word. That we begin to grow to be more like Christ. Father, that we wouldn't just read these words, but instead we'd be able to apply them to our lives. So God, we ask all of this through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So verse 4. Diving into our text for the day, uh, he starts off by saying, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. And what's he saying? Right, we, we look back at the verses we just read, one through three, he talks about God's mystery and that being Christ. And then in verse uh, 15 through 20 in chapter one, he gives us this beautiful poetic, um, just high Christology praise, right, by saying that He is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's created all things through him and for him. He is before all things and all things together hold by him. For he is also the head of the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, things on earth and things in heaven, by making peace through his blood and that blood shed on a cross. He's saying, he's giving just a remembrance of, uh, of what Jesus has done. And the reason he's doing this, uh, some of your Bibles may have the heading on it saying, you know, uh, the Colossian or, or the church and the Colossian heresy, or he addresses the Colossian heresy. Matt talked a little bit about this last week. Um, uh, he dived in a little bit deeper, and, and he will go into it a little bit deeper next week. Uh, so I'm not really going to touch on it other than to say that at the heart of the Colossian heresy was basically just an inferiority inferiority of Jesus. Like, Jesus did not complete it. And so he's saying, do away with all that. Jesus is the end-all, be-all. He is the one. And so that's where he's going. He's saying, I'm saying this just so that no one deceives you. Just a reminder. For I may be absent in the body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Right? He's just, he's giving them a commendation, just like we saw in chapter one. He's giving them praise for how mature they are. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So what does continuing to live in Jesus look like? Again, I think it's one of those things where we as Christians, sometimes we can say a lot of things, and I'm guilty of that, that we fail to kind of tear it apart and kind of give a a better definition, right? And this is one of the like, oh man, just continue to live in him. It's like, well, what does that even look like, right? I mean, we, we say these things, but... Uh, and that's where today we're going to start our focus on looking at the maturity, Jesus and our maturity. Because when we abide in Christ, what that looks, again, there's another one, abiding in Christ. Like, what does that even look like? And Paul is going to give us some definition of how that breaks down. So verse 7, and this is where we're going to spend a majority of our time today digging into this particular verse. But it says, being rooted up and built, or being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. This will serve as our template for maturity. So the first thing is rooted. And to get a better grasp of what, he's, uh, of what rooted looks like, we're going to go to uh, Mark chapter 4, 
You can either turn there in your Bibles or it'll be up here on the screen. But as you're turning there, Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at a familiar story that uh, for most of us, uh, if you're new to the to church or you're new to Christianity, you may not be familiar with it, but it's a story about a sower or a planter of seeds. And so we'll get into that because it's very appropriate for what we're going to be looking at for today. So Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says, Listen, consider the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. And when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seeds fell on the good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit, then increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. So rooted. There's a few things that are involved in being rooted, and the first one is the seed must be planted. And you guys are like, well, duh, right? I mean, I came this morning to hear that simple commentary, but I state the obvious because I think we forget that. And the reason I say that is because seeds, although we know their purpose, do no good if they are never put into the context in which they were meant to grow. When I was a kid, we used to, whenever we would eat watermelon, if it was really sweet, my grandma was like, here, and it was one of those little aluminum pie pans, you know, she was like, put the seeds in here, and we'd put them, we'd dry them out. Or if we had chili that was really good, we'd put it in, in those pans all with the intent to plant them in order to reproduce those good fruit. And so with that thinking, let's apply that to our spiritual lives, to our uh, spiritual application, because what is the point of having seeds that will produce a great fruit or a great product, and yet we just have it sitting up on a shelf because we know we got it? Later on, and applying that spiritually, later on, Jesus, he gives us a breakdown of what that actual parable, that story of the sower meant. He goes on to say that the seed is actually the word of God, or in essence, the gospel. And if somebody was unfaithful, and the fact that you are all sitting here this morning, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, somebody didn't leave the seed of the gospel sitting on a shelf somewhere because they had gotten in. They said, man, that was great fruit. I tasted it, and I don't want anybody else to have it. No, they were faithful, and they took the seed off the shelf, and they planted the gospel message, and as a result, you're here. The gospel took root in your life, and now you have the Spirit of God living within you. Be thankful that somebody didn't shelf that. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 38, um, Paul is combating this, um, <clears throat> this argument because he's talking about the resurrection and, and when we were resurrected with Christ. And people begin to argue and saying, you know, like, well, what kind of bodies are we going to have when we're resurrected? I mean, what's that going to look like? And he's like, I think, he's, he, I think he calls them fools, but he says, basically, in essence, like, fools. Like, don't you think about the fact that what goes into the ground is not what comes out of the ground? I mean, think about a seed and what it looks like. It's pretty, pretty boring, insignificant looking, right? And then, then we put it in the ground in its context, and then it comes out and it sprouts these beautiful flowers and trees and all the things that we have in the world that grow. But if we just took a seed and we found it on the ground, we would have no idea of what it would actually look like until we put it in the ground and cultivated it, and then we saw what would result of it. So in the same way, seeds that we sow can seem insignificant. Seeds in themselves seem insignificant. They're very small. They don't do a whole lot. 
but when we're faithful to plant them, look out. <clears throat> Another thing that we see is when we plant the seeds, there's got to be that right environment. When, when we got to be rooted, we got to have that right environment. And living in Rio Rancho, we know this, that not all soils are conducive to growth. Just because there's lots of dirt doesn't mean that anything's going to grow on them, right? For some of you that plant stuff right now, I mean, you could have all that dirt that's out there, but if that, there's no nutrient in that soil, then what's the point? You could plant, you could plant, and you might grow uh, <clears throat> weeds rather than the thing that you're actually looking for. So as a church, as a faith family, as believers in Christ, we have to create environments that accommodate growth. And we also, as a follower, have to put ourselves in environments that are beneficial to our growth, where we can get provided with nutrients in order to grow. If not, then we don't. And I ran across this, uh, this quote, and then I, I saw the picture that went along with it, and I'm like, perfect, because I've been watching a whole lot of this lately because of my kids. But it says, my level of maturity depends on who I'm with. See, I have the awesome blessing of being friends with all of my high school friends. There was a core group of eight of us, and we still talk, like, weekly. But even being a dad who, you know, takes care of his children and all this stuff and all the things that go on, you know, being, being a husband and a father, still, when I get around my buddies, man, it's like our brains click to go back to high school, and we do all the, you know, we just, it's, it's weird. It's the weirdest thing, but my level of maturity depends on who I'm with. Like when I'm with my kids, I'm dad, and, and, and I do all the dad things, and I'm correcting. And then when I get around my buddies, if they, all of a sudden they come over. It's like, hey, let's jump off of this roof into the pool kind of thing. And I was like, I don't do that when I'm on my own. But it depends around the environment that I'm at where maturity level goes on. In 1 Corinthians, Paul in chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived that bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so if we're in an environment where it's bad company, he's saying there, we get corrupted. But on the flip side of that, it doesn't say this in, the, in, in Scripture, but I mean, we can, we can process the opposite, that good company develops good morals. So if you want to grow, if you want to continue to, to, to just be in an environment that is conducive to growth, get around good people, get around mature people. And so the next thing we'll look at, so we looked at rooted, now we're looking at built up. And parts that uh, are involved in built up are <clears throat> an active or a continual growth, right? We can't stay in the rooted time. That was a past time in our lives. It was a pivotal moment. It was a good time in our lives, but we can't stay there. We always have to be striving for what's ahead. And last week, Matt referenced Ephesians 4, and I'm going to go back there for a little bit this week. But in Ephesians 4, in verse 11, when we pick up, he's going to be talking about the church leadership and its purpose and the goal of the church leadership as it pertains to the body of the whole, as it, as it pertains to, to, to growth. And so in Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Here it is, to build up the body of Christ. So our job is not to uh, do the work, in essence, by ourselves, but to equip you guys in order to be able to do the work of the ministry, to build ourselves up. Until what? Until we all reach the unity of faith in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, in this, I want you to get the visual of when you were a kid, or maybe you have kids and you do this, 
But you're standing in the door frame, and they're measuring, and they want to see how tall they are, right? And then you do that periodically, and, and you get to measure, and you get to see how, how the kids are growing. And there's times where they grow really fast, and there's times where they grow very little. But all the while, growth is happening. And in this verse, he's saying, <clears throat> until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with what? With, uh, with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. We, in our spirit, we don't get to go up to a wall and mark. What we do instead is we measure ourselves against Christ's fullness. And that happens through the Word of God. Seeking, because as we just uh, saw earlier in chapter 1, all the fullness of God dwells within Christ. And in that, if we go to the Gospels, like, what is, what is God like, right? All we got to do is go to the Gospels and look at Christ, and we get to see how our God has revealed himself through the person of his son, Jesus. And as we read that, we can always gauge ourselves, like, how are we doing? And that's the measure by which we judge our maturity. Picking up verse 14. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. As children, we kind of believe a lot of things, right? And as a kid, I believed that wrestling was real. And I was blown away when I found out that it was all a show. And maybe I'm blowing some of your minds right now, you know. And when I talked about, you know, man's body and, you know, a kid and man's body, and you're like, I told you wrestling's fake, right? But as kids, we, we're so quick to believe things because we're learning. We're, things are new. Everything is new. We believe that every love story ended with, and they lived happily ever after. We now know that's not the case. We can only fool children for so long. My daughter, she likes to eat what we're eating and use this, the, the seasonings we're using. And you know, up until about six months ago, we used to just be able to go like, yep, there's the pepper. And she's like, all right. And she would eat it. And now she actually looks at it and goes like, you didn't, you didn't put anything on my plate. Like, like she knows and for us, in the same way, as we grow, we begin to kind of figure things out. We begin to learn. And let that be just a thing for us to ponder, those of us who are parents, who are followers of Jesus, or at least we say we're followers of Jesus. We can't fool our kids all the time. If we say we believe in Jesus and yet we really don't do anything that reflects that, guess what? They're going to find us out to be fakes because before long, we can't keep fooling them. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, and that is Jesus. So built up, we saw that it's a growth and it's a progress, and we check ourselves against the maturity or against the fullness of Christ as we mature. But another thing we got to keep in mind is that healthy growth is a process. So as growth is happening, we got we to make sure that we understand that it's a slow process, just like maybe our kids or those of us who have pets and plants, right? We leave the house and we see them one way, we say goodbye and we leave and we come back for the same day and they look the same. But you look back over pictures of the last three months and you're like, man, there's a lot of growth happening there. Or maybe even ourselves, right? We look in the mirror and we go, man, how did that happen? 
My wife talks, she, she shared with me a quote the other day that she saw somebody posted. It said, it's all fun and games until your jeans don't fit no more, right? <laughs> it's a process. It happens over time. And I say that for those of you who are new in the faith, that you're going like, man, I'm, I just don't feel like anything is happening. If you're spending time in the Word and you're spending time in prayer, I can promise you that growth is happening. And for those of you who are pouring into somebody else through the process of discipleship, you're like, I don't know if they're getting it. It's a, it's a slow process, but it's happening. You just got to keep that in mind. Third thing we're going to look at, so we saw that it was rooted and then built up, and now we're looking at the established part. And a few other words to kind of help us get a better grasp of what that word established as it pertains to the context is demonstrate, authenticate, verify, or prove. So we got to prove or show verification. And think about yourself when you're asked by an official of some sort, whether you're going to apply for something or you have a friendly meeting with a cop, right? And they're like, can you please show who you are? And we're like, well, we have no problem with that. Somebody could come to me and say, hey, I don't believe that you're Jerome. And I could be like, I don't care what you believe. I know that I know that I'm Jerome, so you can think whatever you want. That's because we know who we are unless we're not unless we don't know who we are, unless we're faking it. And I want us to think about that for our faith. When we have somebody that comes alongside us and begins to push us a little bit, give us a little bit of pushback saying, prove it. You believe who Jesus is? And we go, well, like, hey, bro, why are you judging me, man? Like, that's just part of the process. Is it because maybe we're afraid of being found out that we're fake? In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus talks about proving who we are. In John 15, verse 8, he says, My Father is glorified by this. And what is that this? That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. It's simply put, producing equals proving. Or another way we might say it today is, put your money where your mouth is. For us football fans, right? Raiders fans and Cowboys fans every year. We're going to Super Bowl. Go put a bet on it. I'm kidding. I say Matt, Matt always gives a dig, so I thought I'd put one in there in honor of Matt. When James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter, he throws down a gauntlet. Like he, he gets a little heavy. And he says in James 2, verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith by, without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Now, hear me out. I am not one. I don't believe that you can do works to have faith. Not at all. I believe that what Paul says in Ephesians, that salvation is a gift from God by faith alone. But as you have faith, it should reflect in your life. And the reason, uh, James is basically, like, we can throw around the word, you know, uh, Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord, I believe in Jesus, and James, in essence, is saying, prove it, let me see it. And the only thing that I could think about in this moment was that gym guy, like G-Y-M, the gym. Maybe you guys know who I'm talking about as I begin to describe him. 
But it seems like he's in some form at every gym. He's the guy that has the neon green brand new Nikes with the matching shorts and the matching shirt, and he's even got the sweatband. And never once do you see him using the equipment unless he's leaning on it and going, hey, man, you know, talking to somebody. And he's always the first to come alongside you and go, oh, man, you're, you're totally lifting wrong. Like, you want to do the curl like this. Or, oh, when you bench, you want to do it like this. You want to squat in this way. Or you want to lift heavy on this day and light on another day. Or, no, you want to do it like this. And here's how you, you, know, here's how you diet. Here's your nutrition. And all the while, you're thinking, I never see you doing anything. I may be doing it wrong, but at least I'm doing it. And so that's what James is, in essence, he's saying, like, show it to me. Prove it. And so far we've looked at being rooted and built up and established, but there's a few other components that we're going to look at in this verse 7 that kind of sum up the whole equation, and it's these words, just as you were taught. Now, we can't miss the significance of these particular words. In these few words, just like we saw in chapter 1, verse 7, where, where Paul talks about, you learned this from Epaphras, we can't miss the fact that this maturation process, the maturity process, it comes by teaching, by example. It shows the importance also of intentional discipleship. And we who have been in the church for years, maybe we can become a little bit stagnant, a little bit calloused, a little bit sour to the gospel message. We may not say it, but our actions might say it. When we read, when we're reading those passages that that Jesus took our obligations of debt and he nailed it to the cross, we should be jumping and shouting and celebrating the fact that we no longer are in debt for the thing that we owed and Jesus paid it off. And sometimes I think we just kind of go, hmm, yeah, I've heard that. But I want us to think about the ABC song for just a second. The ABC song is a very simple song. We all learned it in school. And if I asked you when the last time you sang it, you'd probably be like, man, it's been decades, if not longer. Except for those of you who are parents with little kids or you're teaching Sunday school or the nursery. The ABC song is something we don't even think about. It, it's just, it kind of gets lost, you know, it, it, as we do other things. But the only time that the ABC song gets Exciting again is when you hear that little child go, A, B, C, and you're like, you're getting it. Go. They may get them wrong a little bit, especially when they get to the elemento, right? That's always fun. But we get excited because we're like, hey, you're, you're getting something that I taught you. And all of a sudden, that ABC song, man, you're singing it. Like that next day, you're like, hey, because you're like your kid. You're like, they're getting it. And for us, the gospel message, the elementary parts of the, of the gospel message that Jesus came and died, John 3, 16, right? That God loved the world, that he gave his son. We, can, we see that and we're like, man, there's so many other passages in the Bible. But we can't miss the significance of, of that. And it's not until you begin to invest in somebody else who's a new believer and you're pouring into them and you're teaching them stuff and, and there's, there's such a, a cool, like, oh man, I get chills just even thinking about it. When you're sitting across the table from somebody and you're sharing the gospel message and they're going, you mean that God loves me? You mean that I can have my debt forgiven? You mean that I can be with Jesus despite all the junk that I've done? And you go, yes. And just to see that excitement in their, their life, 
Like, we've done it. We've, we've heard it. We believe it. And it's kind of gotten old. But until you see that in the life of somebody else, man, that gets exciting. So I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, if you maybe have hit a point in your Christian walk where you're a little bit stagnant, could it be that maybe we're not being refreshed by what that looks like in the life of others? Paul stresses his passion about this. And in chapter 1, verse 28, he says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Parents, when our kids say something, right, or when they learn something new, we're the first ones to post it somewhere like, oh, man, they said they're ABCs, right? And we're like, our kid's the smartest kid in the world. And the thing is because we're excited to see that they're maturing, they're growing. And he's saying the same thing. We want to present everyone mature. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. The last part is overflowing with gratitude. And as we read this, we can read basically just bearing fruit, right? So you're being rooted, you're built up, and you're established, and you're bearing fruit. Let's look back at Paul's uh, commendation of the Colossian church in chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. He says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace, gratitude. When we've been taught to be rooted and built up and established, a natural response to that is just a deep appreciation or an attitude of gratitude, or simply, we produce fruit. And so the equation of this is, you know, being rooted plus being built up plus established equals the gratitude. And another thing about, uh, you know, I grew up on a reservation in Hamas by my grandparents. And one of the beautiful things about that is my grandpa taught me how to plant and plant chili. And we used to plant a lot of it. But I can't help but think of the parallels between the stages and just the similarities of what the gospel message and how Jesus taught it, I see the parallel so easy because I've been involved in, in planting stuff. But I think about it as a kid. So we take that, that chili seed and we go and we plant it at a certain time. And then by faith, in, in, in certain intervals, we would, we would irrigate. We would flood the fields with water. We didn't know if those seeds were taking root, but by faith, we were doing our part to water and to try and create an environment that was conducive to growth. And then as that chili seed began to sprout up a little bit, you had to wait because sometimes some of the weeds around it look a lot like chili, so you had to wait till it started to come up above the others. And in doing that, I don't know if you've seen chili plants, but their stem is, when they're young, it's very, very thin. They're, they're very narrow plants. And so when you got a little cluster of them growing up, you, we had to build mounds around them. We had to take the dirt and just kind of support them because when we would irrigate, that water would push them and it would knock them over. So we had to build them up in order so that they could receive the water and not you know, fall over. And then once the plant was uh, strong enough and once that stem got a little bit thicker, it was able to just be established. It was able to you know, be on its own and we didn't have to worry about it so much. And lastly, it eventually just produced the chili as a result of all that produced fruit. If we reverse engineer that, you know, that equation, right, and, and this is for myself, 
that I'm here today, I'm proclaiming the gospel message, the word of God, because through the years, I had a man who discipled me, who pushed me, was constantly challenging me to prove that I believed what I believed. And when I was even younger in the faith, they made sure to to build me up, to, to come alongside me and to, to help me because I, they knew that it, the pressures of life would begin to knock me over, but they came alongside and made sure that I, that didn't happen. They created an environment that was conducive to my growth. But prior to all that, it took somebody that was faithful that didn't leave the gospel message on a shelf in a jar as that seed, but they took it and they were faithful and they planted it. And it took root in my life. And with that... Uh, this man here on the screen, his name is Richard Clymer. He moved to Hamas Valley when I was a month old, and he is a Texas boy. I don't know if you could tell by the hat, but he's a Texas boy, was a faithful minister of the gospel, took his family to a place that they were foreigners to, but dedicated the rest of his life to serve in the ministry of reaching the people of Hamas Valley. But him and his wife were faithful. His wife was a Sunday school teacher, and she taught me the gospel message. He was the minister, and he used to drive me around, uh, take all of us kids to youth events in this, this super ugly bus. It was, it, it was a gray old school bus that had like this maroon dove painted on the side. And he, yeah, he was, he was faithful. He was faithful. But I say this just, be, just, to, just to honor his memory. He passed about a month ago. But thanks to him, he didn't, by faith, he planted and he cultivated an environment so that a kid like me could have the gospel grow in him. So for all you Sunday school teachers, when you're looking at the kids and going like, there is nothing happening, you never know. By faith, keep plugging along. So for the rest of our text today, we're just going to fly through these last few verses because I, I don't want to spend too much time there because I, I believe they're going to build on what Matt has to say for the next message. But picking up verse 8, he says, be careful. And that's just the, again, he, everything about the Colossian church that he said so far has been an admonition. They're doing great, but just like any parent, right? Be careful. Just be careful. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ, everything Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And I want to pause here just for a second because I want, what did we just read? That the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And we have been filled by Jesus, who is the head and the ruler over every authority. Because one of our elders, Bob Monclova, he sent out a, uh, he, he sent, we sent group texts to each other within the leadership team, and he sent one to Matt and I, and I wanted to share it. But I wanted to share it because I, I don't feel like, it wasn't a good, I, I, didn't, I didn't read it in a good way, and I wanted to share it with you. So I want to preface it by saying that, that uh, I'll explain it the end of this, but this quote is, we are all called to be light, to be witnesses, to love, especially to those around us daily. We are not all called to go or to preach, especially if they are not well-grounded in the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus told many to go back home to their families and to others simply to go and sin no more. Too many go and are not called to go anywhere but to shine in their home, in their community, in their church. Don't feel condemned if you feel the calling of God to go. You may not be. But we are all called to shine and demonstrate the love of Christ in us. And all of that sounds really good. And I agree at the end there. We are all called to shine and to demonstrate Christ's love in us. But that earlier part, I cannot sit on that well when it says, we're not all called to go and to preach. Granted, we may not be called to go elsewhere. We may not be called to go and, and uproot our lives and take it and go somewhere else to a third world country or anything like that. And not all of us are called to stand before a congregation and speak. The Bible talks about a, heavy, a heavier judgment as a result of that. But in that, what I read was a way and kind of like... I want to be careful how I say this, but when I read that, all I saw was, it, don't worry so much about sharing the gospel. Like, just, just shine the light of your love, right? We always think of that St. Francis of Assisi quote. And the thing is, I don't even think he said it. I mean, there's been some things that say like I don't, that it wasn't actually said by him. But my reason for bringing that up is because we it, it, think about this from uh, from a team. If I'm playing basketball against a championship team, I know that I am inferior to them as far as their athletic skills, and I know there is no hope for me to beat them. But the only way that I can beat them is by psychological warfare. If I can just beat into them that they aren't who they are, that that there's no way they you know they're, they're failures at this, and I can point at other areas in their life that although yes they 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 are gifted and they're skilled and they. Ha- possess everything within their ability to beat me, if I can come at them from a psychological warfare and convince them to forfeit, that's the only way that I have to win. And let me tell you, church, we do not lose. In the end, Jesus rises from the dead. He gives us new life. We see that in the end, he comes back riding on a horse, victorious. So we do not have to worry about losing. The only thing that the enemy can utilize against us is getting into our brain and saying, you can't do it. Don't share the gospel message. They're not going to like it. They're going to hate you for it. You know, you're going to lose your friends, your family. You're going to lose that relationship. All these things, the arguments that sound reasonable, as we read in verse 4, all these things sound unreasonable not to share the gospel message, but guess what? We have to take that seed of the gospel. We have to plant it. We have to be faithful and trust that God will do his work. Don't forfeit. You're more than conquerors, Christ. Closing up in verse 11 says, we are also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. Guys, he made us alive with him and forgave all our trespasses. He erased that debt. He took that debt and didn't just crumble it up and say, oh, man, I'm forgetting about it. No, he did a public display by uh, uh, taking it with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he took it to the cross and he nailed it to the cross. And by doing that, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. Again, we do not lose. We are not on the losing end of this thing. We win. Let us go with boldness to proclaim the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, you may not be called to go to a foreign country, but as we are doing life, let us be faithful to plant those seeds of the gospel and just trust that God will do his work. And so as we wrap up, 
We saw that equation. And I believe that many of you here today are already rooted, and you've had somebody come alongside you and build you up so that you're strengthened. But are we producing fruit? And if, if not, is there something missing in the middle? Are we not having somebody challenge us through discipleship? Do we not have somebody saying, prove it, prove that you believe Jesus? Show me. And if that's you, if you are hearing this and maybe you're going, I don't think I've ever had that conversion experience. I don't think I've ever submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Well, let's take care of that this morning. And if you realize, like, man, I'm, I'm suffering and I'm just kind of doing Christianity. I'm like opening up the Bible and just hoping that God will speak to me in some weird way, you know, through it. And I'm just going all through this. And, and, and you, you don't have anyone working and pushing you and, and building you up. Then let's take care of that, too. Come talk to me afterwards. We'll get you plugged in and on the road to producing fruit. And I don't say that because it's anything that I do. I'm just saying that because I'm trying to be faithful in what God has called us to do. So church, as I, as I wrap up and as, we're, as, I, as I close in prayer, let's not just read this and go, man, that was, a, that was a cool portion of Scripture, but instead let's look and measure ourselves against the fullness of Christ. Instead of going to that doorframe and measuring where we're at, if we go to that doorframe and it's been the same for the last 10 years, there's something wrong. Let's continue to strive ahead to what God has planned for us. Let me pray over us. My God in heaven, you are the almighty, all-powerful God, and by your grace we are saved. Thank you for letting all your fullness dwell in your Son, and in that you make peace with us through his shed blood on a cross. Jesus, we're grateful for that moment when you allowed us to believe because we know that no one comes to you unless the Father allows it. But Lord, we don't want to stay there. We want to make sure that we're in environments where we can be built up. We want to make sure that we're in environments where we can grow and we got somebody constantly challenging us, Father. Convict our hearts if we need it. Admonish us, God, if we're feeling beat down. But let everything happen according to your will and your purpose and in your time and in your way. My God, I pray for our, our church here at Paragon. God, have your way. Let us not be stagnant. Let us not get bored with the elementary things of salvation. But let us go on and share with others and again just be reinvigorated with those things. Let John 3.16 just continue to be an amazing thing in our lives as we see other people grasp that. But it can only be done through your work. You alone cause the growth. So we place it in your hands and we ask all of this in Jesus' name.